It's time for the Brotherly Love Podcast. Keeping it real on the Philly sports scene since 2014. Listen, I love the Philadelphia Eagles, but we all know drafting has to spend their fortune. That's the opponent. Shake his hand and get to the damn locker room. Whether it's the fight Bills, the birds, the fly guys, the process, or a national headline, these two beauties are talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. Here's your host, Joe O'Donnell. I mean, the Eagles had that game, and I hate the Saints. Like, put them at the top of my list now. With the Cowboys, the Giants, the Redskins, the Vikings are up there. Screw them. The Patriots. I hate the Saints now. And John Mita. Jimmy Butler was your best player. So this offseason, I don't care how many millions it takes. It is the Brotherly Love Podcast. Joe O'Donnell, John Mita on Twitter at Love Podcast. It's not going to be a happy podcast. I don't even know if it's going to be a sad podcast. I think it's going to be a venom-filled podcast, a fire podcast. Johnny Mita, are you alive? I know you're not well. Are you alive? Yeah, um, I'm alive. <laughs> I made it back from Nashville, but as angry as I was watching that game on Sunday, I'm home before my eyes. And I feel bad. I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't with you in Minnesota. Um, I don't know. I probably would have lost my mind out there. But um, just to find out that some breaking news came down, now I am extremely pissed off. All right. I mean, we'll, we'll get there in a second. We are going to have a spread the love as we try and bring some positivity to this podcast. <laughs> uh, you've got a rant about female drivers, so that should probably take an hour and a half. And uh, we got to talk about the Flyers season underway. Phillies have fired their manager and Gabe Kapler. And, uh, yeah, the Sixers are kicking off next week. So we've got an absolute ton to get into. We'll try and keep it moving here on the Brotherly Love Podcast. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Let's start, though, with the Eagles. The wound is fresh. They are 3-3 three and three after getting just blasted in Minnesota. No, it was not fun to be there. I people asking me, like, I don't know if they just don't get it, like some folks around here with the Wild organization, whether it be, you know, staff members, they just knew I was up there, like, how was the game, or how was it? Oh, it was great. Yep. Awesome to see your team get assaulted on the road, and uh, at least the beers were only like nine bucks, but my God, was that painful at times. The uh, U.S. Bank Stadium got quiet for about... Half of the third quarter, as the Eagles were mounting that rally, you could feel the buttholes tightening up there. They thought that, you know, the Eagles were coming on strong, and, and that was the momentum shift. You, I mean, you could feel it in the stadium. And then the Vikings go on that killer 75-yard drive, five minutes, penalties on the Eagles' defense, slicing and dicing them. And when they went back up then by 11, it was pretty much lights out. Turns out to be 38-20, to 20, I think. We left with a couple minutes left. Um, it was awful. However, it was nice to tell all the Vikings fans that had a word or two. There weren't many of them because they're soft out there. It was nice to tell them and remind them about 38-7 to and the Super Bowl 52 championship, one in their building for the record. So I didn't mind any part of that at all, my friend John Mita. I survived. I'm not as miserable as I was Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, into yesterday because at the end of the day, The NFC East is still right there for the taking Sunday night in Dallas, and we will get there in a moment and talk about the importance of that game for the Eagles. But I just have a few things I want to rattle off, just some statements that I jotted down on my phone 
after the game on Sunday. Not very pleasant, most of them, obviously. <sighs> okay, here we go. Let's start with the fake field goal. Why not? Because Doug Peterson's too smart for everyone. Respect your opponent. Take the damn three points, okay? O-line, I thought, was pretty solid. Ran the ball, at least in my opinion, somewhat effectively. Nigel Bradham injury, massive. It's like losing Malcolm Jenkins. That guy never comes off the field. Again, now I'm just spitballing here. This is like stream of consciousness. No rhyme or reason to a lot of this. Overall, too sloppy. Slow start again. Penalties, turnovers. I, again, feel the Eagles were coach. Maybe I'm crazy. I think that the talent the Eagles have, I know a lot of people, the sky's falling, this team stinks, WIP have been listening, they're terrible, we overvalue the talent. I don't know that we've overvalued the talent. I think the Eagles showed on Sunday that despite all the mistakes and despite getting outcoached and despite getting you know into a huge deficit, the talent they have speaks to the fact they were even in that game for part of the second half. And if you don't believe that, look at the Jets-Eagles game just over a week ago. Right? The Jets have no talent, and when the game got away from them, they didn't have a prayer. So, you know, again, I think the Eagles have some talent. I think people are overreacting a bit when it comes to that. If you are going to kick off every time you win the coin toss, I get it. I like it. The Eagles make good second-half adjustments. For whatever reason, they seem to be a way better team in their first series of the second half. I get it. I've always kind of liked that philosophy because that's what they want. They want to give the ball to the other team first so they can make those second-half adjustments. But if you're giving up seven points the first time the other team touches the ball and you stink in the first quarter, it's time to rethink the philosophy. And Doug Peterson was asked about it in his press conference the other day, thank God, and he said, yeah, we got to look at changing that up. So if you want to be a running team, if you have, a, if you have the ability to be effective running the ball, we'll take the ball first, run it for a few first downs, wear out the opposing defense, start to play the field position game in the first quarter, as opposed to kicking off when you've won the toss, getting seven points just rammed up your your you-know-what, and then you're playing catch-up the rest of the game. I think it's time to change that philosophy a bit. And if you're going to run the ball and not take shots on offense, then your defense can't give up the big play. If the Eagles don't have the deep threat into Deshaun Jackson and their offense just can't go down the field, then you can't give up the big play. Because if you're grinding it out, taking three, four minutes off the clock and then punting, and then your opponent gets it, and it's one play, 62 yards to the house, like that's not a recipe for success. Alshon Jeffrey, had he stayed in bounds, maybe it's a different game. Because he's definitely walking into the end zone. He could have moonwalked in there, and it would have been 24-all. And who knows at that point how the game shakes out. You know, it was the far side of the field. It looked like he had a clear path to the end zone. I don't know what the hell happened, but he lost its balance and went out of bounds. And lastly, the NFL pass interference rule, challenging it is an absolute sucker bet. It's like when I put $10 on a parlay in Vegas and play three or four teams, I don't have a goddamn prayer to win it. And that's what I feel like the NFL pass interference rule is when it comes to challenging it. It was set up to shut people up, and it hasn't proven to be worth a damn. It's just like absolutely putting a screw to you and all it was trying to do was appease the fans but it hasn't changed a damn thing as far as NFL games go that's all I got John Mita I was all over the map 38-20 was a joke pick up the pieces get ready for Dallas where do I begin I'll, I'll kind of start where you did okay the safe completely inexcusable to run that play okay you first of all you have no timeouts left if Goddard catches the ball and he gets tackled inbound what the hell are you going to do then? 
I mean, can the kicker bring somebody up to the line and spike the football? You're guaranteeing that he has to. It's too much of a gamble. You go in there, you get the ball back at halftime, you take the three points, it's 24-13, you come out after the half like they did, they get a touchdown, and now you're down four points. And here's the other thing, okay? If you're going to run a pace field goal, make sure that you have another person out in the pattern. If option one is down, then you have to have a backup. If Dallas Goddard is covered, there's got to be somebody else that you can go to on a prayer. I mean, to only send one person on the route, ridiculous. And for him to try to defend the call, all he had to say was, you know what? Terrible play call and own it. Don't. He was getting snippy with reporters. Like, just own it that it was a terrible call. And, and offensively, again, there's no creativity. We're not getting people on the field. Try my, where's the screen pass game? I don't understand. We have some decent running backs in the stable. Let's run some screen passes. Oh, yeah, we do run screen passes. Yeah, the old, good old wide receiver bubble screen. So they get a first down with it one play. Then it's like fourth and three or something. They go for it, and they go right back to the bubble screen. And things are blocked on a screenplay. For it to be highly successful, you need it to be – you need to have everyone block. I hate to say, as much as I love this guy as a player, and he's been a fantastic eagle and a fantastic left tackle, it might be time to move on from Jason Peters. Again, he keeps coming in and out of the lineup, and then they try to throw the rookie there. And he has no reps, and, and he has no continuity with the, with the other linemen. I think at this point, it might be time to put Peters on the bench, make him a backup, and help basically the rookie Diller get rookie, I mean, get ready to, to start the rest of the season. Because the inner effectiveness of him coming in out, and honestly, Jason Peters is probably somewhat still a decent run blocker, but in pass protection, these defensive ends are just a step or two quicker than him, and we don't even get Carson killed. I don't think Carson Wentz played terrible. I think some other people around him did. Um, Zach Ertz probably had one of the worst football games he's had as an Eagle. Um, that, that was just disappointing. But let me get back to my main man. My main man, Jim Schwartz. Okay. And this is what I don't understand. Yes, the Eagles have been great at what? Stopping the run. Why have they been good at stopping the run? Probably because they've been playing a ton of people in the box like both safeties. However, when you get a team that has some receivers that can make some plays, you need to keep your safeties back. you got to play cover two and drop. you got to have two these safeties. Okay, keep everything in front of you. After Diggs burned, burned uh, whoever he burned the first time. I don't know. Douglas got burned twice. Jones once. I don't know. Whoever. It doesn't even matter. Bottom line is, and again, apparently on one of the plays, Shankman should have had help over the top. They're always being taught, looked in the backfield. Just play the safety seat. If you're going against receivers that are just that good and that fast, you have to keep them over the top. Jim Schwartz, apparently, from what I heard from South Palantonio today, he kind of owned that in his press conference. But in in there lies the problem. The cornerbacks on this team are god-awful. I mean, Rasul Sosin, he's a decent corner. At least he competes. Listen, I can't wait till Jalen Mills gets back. I don't know what he's going to bring to the table. He hasn't played in a really long time. But what I do know is he's going to play hard. He's going to compete. 
and we'll see he's probably definitely a better upgrade than what we're looking at right now. So, so that was troublesome. The defense just can't get off the damn field. You know, here a week ago, we looked like world beaters with the 10 sacks. We looked against the Vikings on offensive line, and we can't get any pressure on Kirk Cousins. Listen, Kirk Cousins, any NFL quarterback, okay? If you don't pressure the quarterback, okay, he will eat you apart. Doesn't matter how good he is in this particular league, they will eat you alive. And there was, and then what I understand is like, where was Orlando Stanger? The guy played at something of a decent game a week ago, and then all of a sudden he gets, you know, sent away to the witness protection program. And it's just, it's just, it's just the quarterbacks right now on this team is such a huge weakness for this football team moving forward. You know, and I know how Rosen doesn't listen to this podcast, but seriously, he has to get the head of, his head out of the mud here. And I do know where he lives, and I can maybe just drop a binder of some potential trade <laughs> Because, like, honest to God, like, he has to make a move. If they feel like they can compete and make the playoffs, then he's got to make a move. Because the way the secondary is constructed right now, they won't be able to beat anybody. Even if the offense with Deshaun Jackson comes back. I mean, and there's so many holes on this football team. And we have an aging roster. And, and it's just, it, it's hard to take. And, and again, again, and the troublesome thing here, Joe, is for me, offensively, when you look at this football team, it's like, where's the creativity? Is Doug a good play caller? You know, with so much of that Frank Reich, I mean, we don't know. What we do know is I don't think Mike Groves any good as an offensive coordinator. I think that's relevant right now. Yeah. So, again, I don't know what type of input he has in play design and everything else, but I, I don't think he's good at all, you know. So, it, it's, it's let me it's let me, uh, th- let me throw a couple things your way because I think you bring up some good points. But I want to take you back to last year. I was thinking about this on my drive back from Minnesota yesterday. Last year, late in the season, the cornerbacks were Crevion LeBlanc, my guy, the Sullivan boys, Chandon or whatever the hell his name was, and Trey. They were without Darby. They were without Mills. It was Avante Maddox, Rasul Douglas, LeBlanc, and two Sullivans, right? Guys off the, off the scrap heap. And they actually got coached up, and by the end of the year, we were talking about, wow, what depth this team has at quarterback. Does anybody else remember this? I wouldn't go as far as depth goes. I would say, boy, they're playing a lot better. I don't know. Yeah, but I know. But at the end of the year, you're thinking, well, they have like four or five cornerbacks. Wow. Between Sidney Jones coming back, between the strides Maddox made, the strides were Soul Douglas made. LeBlanc obviously has been hurt, but like at the time when the year ended, it was like these young corners got reps, and there's five of them that can play. You look at a guy like Maddox. I mean, he's kind of regressed. You know, I thought he had a you know a really coming into his own type season. Right. Towards the last six games of last year, and this year, I mean, he looks like a lost puppy dog out there. Yeah. I I thought he could play, but to see him, I mean, in Green Bay. The game that, you know, unfortunately he went out with a scary injury. But early on in that game, I mean, Devontae Adams had him turn around three ways from Sunday. I mean, he went just. And, and you know what I understand about these defensive backs, Joe? When the ball is in the air, nobody ever locates oh. the damn football. I mean, it's just the receiver. 
receiver's eyes. I mean, everyone's played the sport, or even if you play touch football, right, and you're friends, right? The ball is coming at you. It's like a natural human instinct for your eyes to get bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Like, it's coming in May, but none of these guys turn around their heads. It, it's, I don't know. And I don't know if that's Corey Umman. I don't know if that's Koji. I don't know what that is, but it, it's just a joke. It is. And, and turn around and, and look for the damn football. It's that easy. You and I have been saying it for years. I, I don't know why it's difficult. I really don't, especially when you're beat. If you're beat, there's a goddamn good chance the quarterback is throwing a ball to your guy. And yep. on the one play, the first one that Douglas got torched on, I swear to God, okay? I swear to God. I watched it 15 times. The Vikings put it up on the video board like every other like, Every time there was a timeout, they just rolled back highlights of our D-backs getting torched, okay? So I had a, a 15-yard, big-ass screen to stare at, all right? And, yeah. like, Rasul Douglas knows he's beat. He looks back at the football as he's, like, already five yards behind Diggs. And I swear to God, rather than angling and running with Diggs, he started running straight. Like, he thought Cousins had misthrown the football. And so he got further away from Stefan Diggs in that process. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm like, why is he not going inside towards where the receiver is? Right. It's almost like he thought that he had help over the top there. Kind of like, you know, kind of like a, like a zone concept, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I you know, know what I, I'm saying? I mean, like, listen, and, and, I, I, and I'll say that. this. I'll say this. On the about. second one, on the second one. All right, so the Eagles go for it on fourth down, which I didn't like to call. You're not out of the football game at that point. You're at your own. You're right around midfield. How about trying to, you know, pin them deep? How about that? And say so you got your punter's been great all year. Why do you have to push the panic button? All right, you've got your field goal. Right? It was what was it, seventeen to three at that point? So it was ten nothing. Eagles get a field goal. Vikings go two plays. They hit the bomb. The digs. It's seventeen three. The place is rocking. It was second and two. And I, was, I said to Keith, I'm like, deep shot. What do you think? Nelly's one-on-one. Sure enough, deep shot in the end zone. Maybe pass interference, whatever. Aguilar falls down. To me, there's still nine minutes to go in the second quarter, if I remember right. I would have challenged it. I know you're not probably going to win it. But if nothing else, it serves as a timeout before a pretty big third and two. Still, you're in the yeah. second quarter. You know, you'd be down to yep. two timeouts, but it's not the end of the world. And then when it gets to be fourth down... Why do you have to go for that there? It's you're, you're only down two touchdowns. If you don't get it and the Vikings score, now it's pretty much, you know, you're screwed. And so what do they do first play? See you later. Game over. Like, And I know they rallied, and I know there was a ton of football left, but I didn't like that call. Again, it's this whole, like, we go for it on fourth down. Anytime it's fourth and two around midfield, that's what we do. That's what we do. No, that's not what you do. You're on the road against a pretty good football team. And I know their record didn't really say it, but they're a pretty good football team. We all know this. They were in the NFC Championship game last time I checked, two years ago. So why are you disrespecting them and showing this arrogance? And then you finally start the rally, and it's late in the half. All right, you got to settle for three. Did it suck? Yeah, would it have been nice to be down one touchdown going to the first, you know, at halftime after that grease fire of a start? Sure. But take the three points, and and it's just this, it's this arrogance of like we're gonna get it. Oh, this is what we do. Oh, we'll trick them. No, 
It's not video game football. That's what one of my buddies texted me. Video game football. And that's exactly what he plays sometimes. And the Philly fans ate it all up with the Philly special and all these fourth down conversions last year. At some point, it's going to catch up with you. It's the NFL. So sometimes, play the long game, Doug. Play the long game. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the other thing is, too, and I, I agree with you. The Nelly P.I., like, it's a shame because, like, that that rule is in there for, for stuff like that. And that was blatant pass interference, you know. But it's so hard. I can understand why he's hesitant. I saw right, but again, if, even if you just, don't get it, it's a third down. Yeah. At least you have 30 seconds to talk about it while they review it. No, I, I listen, I, I get it. And, you know, we always do a good job of having our timeouts. You know, the, the, the other hesitancy that I was talking about when it comes to challenging is, is a play that you guys can see, but those who watch it on television. There's a tight end or a receiver, I don't know, a tight end receiver on the Vikings, drops a second down pass. Clearly the ball hits the ground. I mean, it's in his hands, number 81 on the Vikings. I don't know who the guy is. Clearly, and then they got a first down on that play. And I think either it would have brought up like second or third down, but it was a crucial time where he should have used his flag, but he was so nervous about challenging and not winning. I think that's why he just didn't challenge it. But whoever was in the booth that looks at that stuff, he would have been fired by Monday for not buzzing down, telling Doug not to challenge that because it was atrocious. It was so obvious. Like, there was so much visual evidence to show that the ball hit the ground and skipped off the ground. It wasn't even close. And if the NFL were to get that wrong, and I agree, that pass interference rule is such crap. I mean, I saw this play in the Giants-Patriots game. I mean, Golden Tate, he gets interfered with twice on the play. They review it. And then and, and here's the other thing. I think a lot of times if they're not overturning these calls, it's because they want to protect their damn officials. Oh, of course. Again. Right. And, and, and the problem with that is you're, you're giving an uncompetitive fair advantage to the other teams. If you can't look at it and get it right, that's the mind-blowing thing here, okay? And what I was thinking, I mean, I don't know this, so I'd like to ask you this. I don't know if you can even comment on it or what the rulers are, if we can find a referee special. But let's just say there wasn't pass interference call on the play, but there was what is known as illegal contact. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So if a receiver runs 10 yards, the cornerback or safety, whoever's covering him, gets her hands on him, jams him up for a little, impedes the progress of the pattern, but it's not exactly pass interference, can they still call that pass interference? Or could they overturn it to illegal content? I mean, there's so much gray area with this rule. I think because it's been so crappy, they should just take it out all together and go back to normal. Yeah. All right, we're getting a little off topic. It's my fault. Uh, let's get back on. Let's talk about the Cowgirls okay. game since let's just bury this Vikings disaster and move on. Uh, Dallas could be without Amari Cooper. That makes them way less potent on offense. The thing I, that concerns me, for anybody who thinks Eagles are going to go in and walk over the Cowboys, you're crazy. You haven't been watching this team play. It's on the road. It's a divisional game. We know it's going to be close. The thing that that concerns me the most is the middle of the field defensively for the Eagles. Without Nigel Bradham, at least you know Nate Jerry will get a chance to get some reps, okay? Practice reps. You know I'm a big proponent of it. So Andre Dillard, Nate Jerry, the guys that had to come in on the fly Sunday in Minnesota, they'll get some reps. So that, that to me, is important. It, it, it can only help 
thank God the Cowboys don't have a legitimate tight end. And I know Jason Witten, his career has typically owned the Eagles because he played for two damn decades, but he's a shell of himself, all right? He's been garbage this year. My concern is the middle of the field, but I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more at ease knowing that so far this year, Witten hasn't been the old Jason Witten, the Hall of Famer. So that part, you know, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. The Eagles have to go in there. They have to control the clock. They can't turn over the damn football. And the third down penalties on defense have to stop. Whether you're playing the Cowboys, I don't care. Just you you got to knock off the third down penalties to keep the other team on the field. Control the clock. Run the football. Limit the turnovers. Let's go to Dallas. Get a win. And then be atop the NFC East. And, and the sky will stop falling. You know, Doug Peterson talked about yesterday, everybody thinks the world's crumbling outside of this facility. Well, how would you expect the fan base to react when a lot of us, you and I included, thought 11 or more wins and a legitimate Super Bowl team, and through six weeks, they've been 3-3. Three and three. The win against the Packers looks better every week. The loss against the Falcons looks worse every week. I don't know where this team is right now. They need to get healthy. They need to find some consistency. If they can do it Sunday night and stay atop the division and go a game ahead of Dallas, everybody will chill out for a bit. you got to run the football. You're going to help Carson out. you got to establish a run against the Cowboys. Another good thing you know to Martin Cooper and all likelihood will miss this football game. The Cowboys also, in all likelihood, will be without two offensive linemen. Their left tackle, Tyron Smith, still recovering from a high ankle sprain. Lil Collins has a spring MCL. Don't think he'll go. Um, so they're wounded up front. So the Eagles need to, 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 to generate some type of pass rush. I don't know how it happens, but they got to do it. they got to get him Dak's face. We saw what the Saints did. They were kind of after him. If you put pressure in his face, he's likely to make some mistakes. And, and let's just, for the love of God, come on with some damn game plan. And let's, let's be a little more aggressive throwing the ball down the football field. Okay. Apparently, I heard a stat today. They went three straight games where he throw the ball twenty yards in the air. Something ridiculous. Well, Miles My- Sanders been the teams had the teams the longest catch each of the last four games. Miles Sanders. Well, Sean Jackson had the second most receiving yards on the team, and he hasn't played since week one. Oh my goodness! I mean, come on! Like, I mean, that's just crazy, right? I mean, a week and a half ago, I had a dream. Did I ran into Deshaun Jackson, and he said, and Deshaun Jackson, I swear to God, he goes, don't worry, dog, I'll be playing in that Dallas game on Sunday night. I swear to God. I had this dream a week and a half ago. And I remember when we said what's up to him at the hotel when we went to the New Orleans game. That's how he talked. I, he was like, I appreciate it. You're like, good luck tonight or something. He was like, I appreciate it. You know, and that voice is. So, I, I think D-Jack will be back for this game. So, if that happens, that'll definitely inject some energy into the football team. And, and we got to start that. If we win the goddamn, excuse my language, if we win the coin toss, okay, take the football and try to score. Okay, let's, let's try to start and get ahead. Because bottom line is when we deferred, and I'm a big proponent of getting the ball in the second half, leaving your defense, but the bottom line is our defense is not stopping anybody except for the New York Jets right now. So other than that, that's what we got to do. Real quick, Jalen Ramsey, all the Eagles fans in America, everyone wanted this guy, the Jacksonville star cornerback, 24 years old. Turns out, you know, the Jag donor, Shad Khan, what a fraud. He's like, we're not going to trade him. Well, it turns out tonight, about three hours ago, he got traded to Los Angeles Rams. They gave up a 2020 first rounder, a 2021 
first rounder and a 2021 third rounder. Okay? If they call me back on the phone and Howie Roseman didn't have a chance to counter that, he's an absolute moron and a dope. Okay? Because I would have given up anything. Draft and show that we can't draft anymore. And the other thing is this. You know, first round, well, if we're good, our first rounder should be in the late 20s. That could be a hit or miss pick. Don't seem worried about, well, he wants all this money. I'm like, okay, I can free up his $18 million real quickly. Get rid of Nelson Aguilar, who makes $10 million, okay, and Ronald Darby, that makes another $8 million, okay? There's your $18 million, people, that those of you were worried about. It. So, bottom line is, we missed out on this trade like idiots, okay? I- I'll say this from now until the day that I die. This was a huge mistake for them to miss out. The only thing that would give you some type of saving grace on this is if the fact that it turns out he refused to come to the Philadelphia Eagles. I know we might have a house in Los Angeles. Everybody wants to be out in L.A., the beautiful sun, the market. Great. I get it. But if he was willing to come here and we didn't get the deal done, everyone's like, oh, it's just too much to give up. What the hell are you people talking about? Too much to give up? Really? I mean, that's just the dumbest statement I've ever heard. Anyway. All right. I like it. Listen, I I, I trust you, man, and and – if the Rams, who are also scuffling, I, they probably wish Jalen Ramsey could play running back because they have no running game with whatever the hell is going on with Todd Gurley. And uh, they just went and got a lockdown cornerback. Aqib Tlaib, I believe, is out right now for them with injuries. So um, they needed him. And they probably and stepped up because of it. Rams, this how crazy this is. This is how desperate they were to make a move. Aqib Tlaib, he just went on IR. They did trade their quarterback, the other quarterback, Peters. Marcus Peters and the Baltimore Ravens. That's why I knew we were in trouble because I heard that this was the deal to free up for Rams and go to the Rams. But people have to keep in mind, the Rams will not have a first-round draft pick for five years. Five years now because they made other trades. Because they're all in and they're going for it. And the other thing is this. If you don't draft a first-rounder, you don't have to pay a first-rounder. You can allocate those resources to other people on your football team. Because you didn't get Jalen Ramsey, there's two names you got to go secure. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you need me to help pick these guys at the airport. You want me to send them out, go get them myself, I'll do it. But go get Patrick Peterson from the Cardinals, who has not played this year, cornerback, and go get Emmanuel Sanders from the Denver Broncos. They said they're not trading any of these guys. Make them offer, they can't refuse, and get the guy. Whoops, excuse me again. All right, let's get to the uh, Philadelphia Phillies, Johnny Mita, because Gabe Kapler has been fired, thank God. Uh, The Phillies are talking to or going to interview some managers that certainly have plenty of experience. Rumors have it Buck Showalter, Joe Girardi, and Dusty Baker will interview for the Phillies managerial position this week. Now, if you're thinking that maybe you're in a time machine and going back to the 90s with those names, well, I don't blame you. But I would say this about the Phillies search. I don't want a guy that doesn't have at least a trip to the World Series on his resume. Okay, let me make that again very clear. The Phillies should only hire their next manager if he's been to a World Series as a manager or he won a World Series as a manager. That's it. Period. End of sentence. So if you got to bring in the toothpick, Dusty Baker, that's fine. You want to bring in Joe Girardi, that's fine. Buck Showalter, 
Lisi's coach managed like 15,000 games in his life. That's fine. Do not give me Gabe Kapler 2.0. Do not give me analytics Andy from, uh, you know, Seattle's double-A team. I don't want anybody that doesn't have a ton of experience and will immediately command respect in the clubhouse. And that's all I got to say on the Philly search. Don't screw it up. Get somebody with experience. I don't care how old he is. I don't care if he needs a wheelchair to get out, you know, from the clubhouse to the dugout. I don't care. If it's Charlie Manuel, great. Somebody that has been around the block and has been to a World Series as a skipper. Right on. You couldn't, you couldn't be any more right at that point. Um, I watched uh, Comcast Sports Night yesterday, and there was the Darren Dawn Foundation, and they had a golf outing at Broad Run yesterday. And Comcast Sports Night, or whatever, and it's NBC now, whatever the hell the show is. Basically, they interviewed Larry Anderson, Larry Boa, and Mickey Warren Dean. And they all had a similar saying of what they thought the next manager should have been. They said somebody that will hold the players accountable. Now, immediately, that is a huge red flag. <laughs> when guys are being held accountable, it seems like it was too low. Guys didn't take their job seriously. As much as what Carlos Santana kind of, you know, came out with that, and it, it, it just and, and I agree with you, buddy. They got to get somebody with experience. We tried the analytics. Newcomer Chip Kelly. Look, I mean, just the players' manager. Look, like, look what the Philadelphia Eagles did with Chip Kelly. I mean, he had more gimmicks, you know, than the science channel. I mean, he was like, "We're going to track your sleep habits. We're going to do this. We're going to energy. You know, we're going to drink smoothies. We're going to turn all this stuff." And it turned out he was a complete flop. So, I agree. With you. I'd be happy with any one of those guys. I know apparently they, they, they interviewed Sol Walter and Girardi was scheduled to be interviewed on Monday, and I guess Dusty Baker later this week. Give me any one of them. I prefer Joe Girardi out of all those guys because I think he's kind of a little newer school. I agree. Like, so yep. some, some of the analytics, like I don't think he'd be absolutely opposed to, but I think he has a good feel. And, and listen, he, and Sol Walter, he coached the Yankees. Um, you know, Dustin Baker, who's been in some big markets for sure, but there's no greater pressure than being the manager of the New York Yankees, right? I mean, that is a high pressure with the media, with the market, with the history of that organization. So for me, Joe Girardi would be the guy. And we'll see. Again, they need to do this quickly. I think one of the reasons why Dave Kapler got fired, they said because of so many young players regressed, and I couldn't agree with that more. I don't know how talented some of those young players are, but um, but just don't screw this up. Get somebody with some experience, like he said. Somebody has been in the World Series. Get it done. Do it quick, and, and let's get this offseason in full swing. Through three games, the Philadelphia Flyers are 2-0-1. Carter Hart has pitched a shutout. They're in action tonight against Calgary. Teams had a rough go from a travel standpoint. Uh, going to Europe, coming back, playing a home game, having to go out to the West Coast up in, you know, Western Canada. Has not been easy on the Fly Guys early on, but so far so good. Just six goals against in the three games. Matt Niskan and Justin Braun have done exactly what I expect them to do, which is chew up big minutes. Oscar Lindbaum scored a couple of big power play goals. Travis Konechny looks like he is going to have another outstanding sort of breakout season. Kevin Hayes has paid at least somewhat immediate dividends. 
you know, one of the big concerns for me with the Flyers moving forward, John Mead, despite the nice start at 2-0-1, is Nolan Patrick. You know, he's out. Uh, I, I believe he's out indefinitely. And, and I think that's a big loss for this for, for this franchise, at least in the short term, depending on sort of the unknown issue or length of time that he could be out of the lineup. So I'm keeping my eye on that, the Nolan Patrick sort of situation with his injury. But I think so far the Flyers done exactly what I expected them to do. And I said this going in. I think they're going to surprise some folks this season. Uh, I'm not expecting them to continue to blow out teams, you know, out of the gates here. I'm not thinking that they're going to be in first place in the conference, you know, up through the All-Star break. But I think over time this team's going to prove it's way better than it was a year ago. It's got a young stud goaltender that the team can rally behind and some proven scores. And the other thing that I found interesting, I was listening to the Vancouver game on the radio as I was driving up to Minnesota the other night. Tim Saunders, and God help him, the, the fact he's got to work with Coetzee because that ship has sailed. But Tim Saunders, I think, does a wonderful job as far as passion and all those sorts of things, preparation. And they were saying, and I didn't look into this too much because they could have been wrong, obviously, but they were surmising that Jake Voracek was benched for all intents and purposes, in the third period of that Vancouver game because he wasn't very good in the first and the second. Now, obviously, he could have been either ill, he could have had a nagging injury, but he didn't play about the first eight minutes of the third, according to the Flyers radio broadcast team. And they were saying they thought it was Elaine Vigneault sticking to his guns that if you ain't going, you're going to sit. So I don't know if you read that, saw it, heard it, whatever. It was talked a lot about in Philadelphia. (laughs) But if that is the case, that if in game three – the coach is willing to sit your $8 million guy or whatever the hell Voracek makes, you know, one of the league's leading scorers over the last handful of years. He's willing to ru- let him ride the pine when you're down a goal in October in Vancouver and then put him out there on the fourth line for a couple of spot shifts with Michael Roffel and, you know, whatever, whoever the other fourth line, Torinsky or whatever the hell that kid's name is, like, that is that is setting the example and talk about holding somebody accountable, holding your players accountable. I don't know how that's going to go over. It might go over like a fart in church with Voracek. But bottom line is, if that was really the case that early in the year, you got to love that from the new head coach. It's funny you bring this up because I heard that he definitely did get benched from what I heard today. And I forget the coach. I didn't really hear his reasoning because I flipped to another channel. But I'm impressed with the new head coach. I was just watching... I don't know if you caught any of this, but HBO is doing like a documentary series. I think it's HBO or... or no, the NHL Network, Beyond the Glass. Right. Behind the Glass. Beyond the Glass, yeah. right? And they just showed Vino running some practices. And he is screaming at the Flyers to get inside and get the puck on net. And I'm like, my God, what a breath of fresh air this is. Due to the fact that how many times... You know, he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, the puck in the zone for 30 seconds and now one shot on goal. And he's just like killing them. And I'm totally in favor of that. How many times did they, when they're like on the power play, that they make like 17 passes before they just shoot one puck on net? So everything I saw from him, I saw like his beginning training camp speech. I don't know if you got to hear that clip. That was pretty impressive, but... To do that, it, it, it sets the culture. It sets the example. They know this guy's going to be hard on him. He expects a lot. The organization expects a lot from these guys. Expectations of, hey, listen, no more. We're not going to make the playoffs. It, it's time to get it done right now. So um, right now, everything I can see from him, I'm a big fan of his. I don't know much about him. 
And I just love all the coaching experience, right? The two other assistants, they've been head coaches in this league, and I think it's going to be beneficial for the team moving forward. And listen, 2-0, and they start out 2-0. I'm thinking to myself, I go, when is the league going to build up their fire starting season 2-0? and Yeah. And then somebody wrote on Facebook seven years ago. Wow. It's like, you know, the Flyers, how many times have we seen it's like, oh, my God, they get off to, like, a rough start, right? Then they go on some amazing hot streak. They win, like, 10 games in a row or something crazy, gets them back in the fold. Then they kind of dip again towards the end of the season, and then they get that. It's just, I, I just like what I see. And I, I think, you know, there's some talented pieces. You bring up Nolan Patrick, that is a concern to the fact that he looks like he's coming into his I know it's kind of early, but like almost the prime of his career. I think when you, if you play two to three years at this level after you know, your rookie season, I think that's when you really start to see the difference and to see if this, you know, see if this player is going to be, you know, a, a decent player for you. So I don't know. I, I think, you know, Nolan Patrick, his injury, Joe, is it concussion? I mean, I've is- I've got a little insider trading on it, and it it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good at all, and it goes back to a, to a hit late last season, and he didn't travel to Europe. I mean, when you're not with the team and they're gone for that length of time, it tells you something's wrong because they'll bring everybody on a trip like that. You know, if you're even close, they'll bring you. So, uh, from what I gathered, it is not good, uh, and I think there's a little, I don't want to say confusion, but just a little mystery as to exactly what the issue is and that, I think, is probably part of the problem, right? You can't assess it. You can't medically treat it. You can't help the player get better if you're still trying to figure out exactly what's causing the problem. All right, uh, real quick, Brotherly Love Podcast here on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, I don't know if we'll have a podcast for the start of the Sixer season, so your prediction, John Mita, in one minute or less for the Philadelphia 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 76ers. Sorry, real quick. I mean, it was nice to see Ben Simmons at three the other night after people screamed at him and it went in, and it looked decent. And I'm totally on board with that. This kid finds a 12 to 15-foot jump shot. I mean, an instant MVP candidate. I think I might throw $100 down at 80 to 1 or whatever the number is just for S and giggles. But this team is constructed defensively. This is going to be one of the best Sixers teams I think I've ever seen in the last I don't know. Larry Brown, Sixers teams with Iverson, they, they used to play some really decent defense. So, But this team is legit. The signing of Al Horford was great. He'll be able to back Joel and beat up, take some games off, a little load management. And this team's ready to fly. I think I think this team, the way it's constructed, is already better than the team that was last year. And we saw how, how well they were. Now that some of the people are out of the East, I think the major players in the East you got to worry about. Milwaukee will be there. Those are that's the one team in the East. I don't know how good Boston will be, but I think Milwaukee's the target. But I expect this team to possibly make the NBA Finals, if not win the whole thing. Who knows? Wow. I mean, I know it's kind of crazy, but I think they're that talented, and the fact that they can bring people off the bench. When can you say that? We have a backup point guard. We have somebody we can defend. The only thing I am a little worried about, real quick, is that Carson Edwards hit 9-3 today, and I know it's only preseason, but maybe he would have looked damn good in the Sixers uniform. But that's it. Uh, your boy, Thimble, any thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, getting to see him play a little bit. Listen, 
and we all knew the kid was a legit defender, best defender in the country as far as college basketball goes. And now it looks like he can hit some threes. So I'm not killing him yet. I, I'd like to see more from him. But right now it looks like somewhat of a decent pick, but too early to tell. Time but, for a bet, John Mead. Time for a bet. Since it's clear you won the Bryce Harper deal and I owe you a case of Stella, and it's clear well, at you, this point I'm going to win the Sidney Jones bet, I think. He's got one pick. He stinks. He's soft. He can't stay on the field. I can't believe you fell in love with this guy. Smash mouth. Love my defense. Blitzing linebackers. Uh, Willie T. <laughs> Jeremiah Trotter. B-Doc loving John Mita. And you fell head over heels for a guy that's so afraid of the tackle, that can't stay healthy, that plays eight yards off the football in Sydney Jones. Like, a, a, another time on a podcast when we have less to get to, you will be put on trial to defend yourself for loving Sidney right. Jones. However, yeah, however, since however, I will be winning on, that bet, hold on, no, no, no. Since I will be winning right. that bet, we need a new bet because now the bets will be even. At some point, we'll pay each other, I swear. Ben Simmons, <laughs> three-pointers this season. I'm setting the over-under at six. <laughs> Six. And I'm taking the under. So put it this way. Put it this way. I'm going to take the under on anything you set. You set the line. You set the over-unders, and I'll take the under. I mean, at six, I think I'd take the under with you. Okay. Let's but set I'll it at the, three. Take, no, Let's I'll, set it at three. I'll take the under. No, three, three, three is for – well, that's ridiculous. Let's stick at six. You take the under. I'll take the over. I don't want to screw you here. If you want to, If you want to lower it, I'll let you lower it right now. Let the people – be our witness. You want to make it four? Let's make it four. I'll take the under. Deal? How about we'll make it five? All right. Okay. Done. Five. Done. I got the under, and I will be counting my money very early on. This kid is still shell-shocked. There's not a shot in hell in a big moment he's going to shoot the basketball. It's like believing that Nelly Aguilar had to rebuild himself. When you are mind-screwed, when you are rattled, when you are soft, when you when you are when you lack fortitude, it's hard for that leopard to change his spots, my friend. <laughs> Man, you are you're killing me right now. I think this is hilarious. You so, got yeah, it, brother. I'll think you over. All right, All right. you got it. So All it's right. officially friend at five. I got the under. You got the over. Right. Ben Simmons threes in the regular season this year. I know you want to <laughs> made threes, made threes, right? Not just takes, made threes. Not made, made, okay, made got threes. It. All right. Um, we have a spread the love from each of us and then a rant, and you have your rant, so I will let you get there in a minute. Uh, I'm going to sp- – you spread the love, and then I'll follow it up, and you can rant. We'll get the hell out of here. I just want to read a letter that Jeremy R- Macklin wrote, um, basically about his time in Philadelphia playing for the Eagles. And I think all fans should hear this, and all former – well, all new players in the organization should read this. But as fans, this is the type of stuff that makes us feel good as far as, you know, players understanding what it takes to play in this lovely city and how passionate we are about sports. But it's always nice to hear a player come back and say how much he loved Philadelphia. So I'm going to read this letter real quick. We're doing a silly voice. And Jeremy Macklin was a, um, what do they call it, like a special captain for the football team against the Jets, an honorary captain. All right, this is what he wrote. It's great. For starters, I still love the game of football. It's just unfortunate I couldn't go out there the way I wanted to. But I'm not able to play at the level that I'm accustomed to 
because of my chronic hamstring injury. But that's what I signed up for when I decided to play this game for a living. The other reason is that it's Philly. Philly just gives you that feeling. It's going to be the first time I'm back at Lincoln Financial Field since I left, and that place is special. It holds a special place in my heart and always will. I love you, Eagles fans. I appreciate you all six years I was there, and I still appreciate you all now more than you could ever know. I appreciate everything. I appreciate the support, and I appreciate the criticism, too. It comes with the territory, and I think all that made me who I am today. You know, that was, you know, a letter that he wrote, and it just sums it up, man. I thought it was awesome. I've always been a huge Radcliffe fan. I loved him when he was coming out of Missouri. When the Eagles drafted him, I was super stoked because they get Jackson, Deshaun Jackson, and Macklin. And it would be nice to maybe how he find the two-receiver tandem in, in a draft so that we could go back to those years. And unfortunately, you know, Chip Kelly let, let him go and wouldn't it? Anyway, good to hear from Jeremy Macklin. That's my spread of love. On to you, Joe. All right, well, I'm also going to spread the love to a former Eagle because announcing his official retirement today was Connor Alfred Barwin from Southfield, Michigan. And uh, Connor Barwin, 33 years old today, on his birthday, announcing his retirement from the NFL, one of my favorite Eagles. We've talked about a lot on this podcast before, not just a player on the football field, but a man of the people. You want to talk about somebody that embraced the city, uh, the work he did in the community, his foundations, which continue to build playgrounds in sort of underprivileged areas in Philadelphia and beyond. So I'm spreading the love to Connor Barwin. Four years as an Eagle, 10 years overall in the NFL. Hated to see him leave, especially to put on a Giants uniform for a season. was That was just one of those atrocious type deals for me. I just couldn't get over that. 31 and a half sacks in four years with the Eagles. Almost 57 sacks in his career. I'm spreading the love to Connor Barwin. Great player, better person, one hell of a Philadelphia Eagle. Yeah, well said, Joe. Um, it's funny. I heard that he didn't announce his retirement. I'm glad you brought that up. Because he should be recognized for everything he did. And there was a guy that used to like drive his bicycle and put it on the SEPTA bus just to you know, commute throughout the city. And obviously, we all know the work he did in the community. Right. But that was amazing, too. I mean, that amount of sacks, and that, I mean, that's, that's called production right there. Yeah, I think he had 11 and a half one year in an Eagles uni, so really good stuff. All right, John Mita ran us out of here because we're approaching an hour and people probably want to turn this damn podcast off, so give him something to listen to. Well, I mean, I'm going to make this quick, but <laughs> <laughs> I just I can't take the fact that and this has now happened to me twice, and I don't know if it's just me. It could be just me. It could be just me, but I've been followed by two female drivers in the parking lot and they have expressed their displeasure with me. I see people cut people off doing certain things. I didn't do anything to, to, these, to these two women that follow me, and they want to scream and yell. Well, my whole thing is, listen, just stay in your lane. It's unnecessary for you to follow me and start screaming things at, at me. Like, you don't know who I am. It's like me going up to a bar, right? I'm in a bar, and it's kind of different. But you're, you're talking to somebody, and you're like, yeah, you really don't know who that guy is. You know, for all you know, that guy could be an MMA fighter. And now you're going to get yourself in a world of trouble that you didn't think was, you know, going to happen. But my whole thing is just just stop. You, you, you drivers, stop following me. Stop yelling at me. I, I can't take it. I'm going to lose my cool. 
I make this a lot more lighter rant than, than the Venom. <laughs> than you I had, had intended, on, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, on Friday night, if you would have heard my rant, it, it definitely would have not made the airwaves of SoundCloud. But I'm just saying, listen, listen, there's a ton of bad drivers out there. I know people do stuff to make you upset, but just keep in mind, like, you just don't know what's going to happen, so just stay in your lane. That's all I'm saying. Stay in your lane. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> She que- I love she questioned your toughness. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Right uh, from the start. I'm, I'm, I'm literally depositing a check into a Mac machine. And she's like, oh, you're a real tough guy. Huh? I'm trying like that. You almost hit me. And I'm like, listen, I said, this is what I said to her. I said, do you really find it absolutely necessary to come into the parking lot and start yelling at me? I'm like, just move on. Stop. Move on. I love it. That's exactly what the Eagles need to do is move on. Get ready for Dallas. Win the damn game. Do some deals, Howie. Do some deals. Come on. 27 to 22. Eagles get it done. Yeah. You got a prediction? Yeah. Yeah. I think 31 20. The defense is going to show up. They're going to show up. They're going to, I mean, listen, we owe them a little payback. They yes. Got swept last year. Yeah, amen. Embarrassed. Carson went out. Okay, there's going to be a little chip on his shoulder after, you know, they broke his back. So, you know, Dallas Gardner, you know, Dallas Goddard did his helmet take it off. Nothing was called there. So, you know, let's play with a little more enthusiasm, a little more fight. And, and, and that's the other thing we didn't talk about real quick. I know Don Peterson said he didn't guarantee win, but he expects his team. And I think the team will respond to his confidence. I think they're going to play well. Love it. Brother of the Love Podcast, sign off. Appreciate all the love and support. For John Mita, Joe Donald, till next time. Go Birds. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. 